Welcome to episode 369 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have one of my favorite regular contributors, musician, writer, expatriate living in southern France, and our resident social critic, J.Q., JQ and I talk about the pandemic, of course, human health versus the economy, the Center for Disease Control being suppressed. We uh, discuss universal basic income, nationalizing the industrial sector of our society, corporations looting the treasury, the great idiot Which leader do you think he's talking about when he says the great idiot? It is a grand conversation with our good friend JQ this week on the program. We have an EW essay titled Fight. And our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, shares a sampling of light verse by the likes of Dorothy Parker, Theodore Rothke, Allen Ginsberg, Shel Silverstein, all in the voice of our good doctor, Michael Pavis. And we have a poem called Seasonal Sneeze. All of this, of course, will be imbued and infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so good to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 369 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
fight. These special times are quite sublime as I search for a rhyme that mimics the melody of our front porch wind chimes and smells rich and ripe like these deep green oblong limes that I found on a wooden plank along the side of a gravel road in bucolic Texas, Louisiana, in my imagination. This is my main means of transportation as of late. The films in my head, coupled with the yearning of this heart and soul, as my body grows old, and my mind can no longer pretend, the state of human affairs these days are not quite dreary, bleak. We are, the most of us, unswervingly the disconcerted meek, looking for ne'er-do-wells to guide us somewhere good, not enough of us realizing, as we certainly should, that those deficient ones are only in it to win it for themselves. They are not like you and me, deep-thinking, handsome punks and sweet-loving Jezebels. Please, do not cast any dispersions on my dear expatriate friends in southern France, central Vermont, Liverpool, the Palisades in Cali, or Harpswell, Maine. There are so many good people there, and too, in the great state of Missouri, just the same. I understand more Ms. Maya Angelou and Mother Jones, as I do the warm yellow sunshine and Wall Street Italian suit-wearing clones. You are only as alive as you fight and struggle and love your way to be free. This basic truth all of our heroes and smiling martyrs did clearly see. Salute to the sky and ground and trees, to you and we, and it all inside and out, quiet, calm, unabashed, and unbound, living alone together vociferously profound.
Hello, is that JQ? Indeed it is. JQ coming to us from his humble abode in the south of France. Musician, writer, expat, and uh, our resident social critic. I understand today you want to talk about um, the pandemic. Well, you you wrote me and asked what I wanted to talk about, and my response was it seems like there's only one topic of conversation these days that everything revolves around it because it's so, well, sort of life-changing for so many people. And yeah, fake news, right? Trying to avoid the word unprecedented because it's <laughs> it's it's getting uh, annoying. Uh, yeah, fake news. Um, fake news. Real pandemic, but, but fake news, I guess. Um Ooh. And, well, the pandemic's certainly real. Is that controversial? <laughs> here in the United States, it is. You, you know, here oh, it right. is. Yeah, it is controversial here. You know, we start, we have to choose now between uh, human health and the economic health of our nation. That's the, that's the framework. That's the context we're being uh, sort of immersed within. And it's not a fair one, in my opinion, and not a wise one either. Well, certainly not. I mean, first of all, you know, as far as the pandemic goes, um, we know what to do. I mean, we we know what to do not only medically, but economically. I mean, medically, it's pretty simple you, you, because we have the template that has been provided by other countries. Uh, you test and test and test like crazy, which is what all of the, the major health officials are saying, right? And you isolate the cases and you keep quarantine as much as possible. This causes problems, obviously, for the economy. But even that, we know what to do. It's just that there's the political will to do what is necessary is, is light years away in, in any nation, really. Although if you were doing that, that as well, um, Canada, for instance, Spain. But basically, really what you would need to do is sort of temporarily do something that is similar to nationalizing industries because the state can absorb the debt and, and you know, that, so you don't have – Businesses failing because they're not turning a profit motive in a quarterly corporate risk. And, and then instead of trying to give money away to businesses or letting corporations loot the treasury, which is what is happening in America and to a lesser extent here in France, uh, you give money to people. You initiate some sort of emergency universal basic income for the duration of the crisis. Right. We're letting corporations loot the treasury. That Everybody's watching that happen. I mean, if there, there's a sort of naive assumption out there among people that I keep hearing or seeing on social media that somehow this is going to uh, change people's minds or opinions uh, and lead to a, a, a better world or people are going to wake up. Uh, that's such wishful thinking. Um, the rich are, are profiting from this, you know. And the corporations are looting the treasury because instead of trying to, you know, the cruise ship industry got a bailout for God's sake. They they don't even pay taxes. It's all offshore money. Yeah. <laughs> so it, what I was saying is you need to, instead of doing that, you need to put money in the hands of people and initiate some sort of universal basic income. No, I'm very cynical of UBI as a, as a, as a, any sort of political strategy because I, I think it sets up a two-tiered two system of capitalism in the long run where there's people that participate and take everything and then the rest of the people living on basically a welfare check. And, and I don't think that's a good thing. But in times of a pandemic, it is. I mean, you, you have to you, – you can't do it because people will start crying socialism or whatever. But we have corporate socialism right now. I mean, we're, we're bailing out people who don't need it. 
No doubt. And don't deserve it, really. And working people and, you know, the most vulnerable in our society, those are the ones who actually need help to get through this because, you know, and and, I mean, a massive percentage of Americans, I've heard estimates as much as 45 to 50 percent, basically live in the gig economy from paycheck to paycheck, right? Those are the people who need relief checks every month right now. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all very disturbing. I mean, I, you know, I live in France and, and, and we, we have some decent intellectuals over here like Emmanuel Todd and Michelle Welbeck have, have both been really interesting talking about the crisis. Michelle Welbeck uh, is the novelist. You might know him. Yes. Uh, yeah, and he's 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 very very cynical, very dark. I don't I don't share his vision of the world at all, but he's funny and and uh, because he has a good sense of humor, it, it's sort of invigorating to <laughs> you know his cynicism. Like he, he said, uh, you know, he was saying we're not going to wake up after the lockdown in a new world. It'll be the same, just a little bit worse. You know, <laughs> and, and I agree. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and that it's sort of encouraging or um, accelerating uh, the obsolescence of human relationships because everybody's at home and, you know, working over the computer and, and uh, yeah. And he says that he called the virus banal because it has no – he said, yeah, it has no redeeming qualities. It, it's not even sexually transmitted. <laughs> 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 Nothing good about it. So, uh, but his main point about you know, and I have been seeing this. People saying, "Oh, things are, people are going to wake up now." No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, the, the the prognostication that things will be just a little bit worse, I think, is is spot on. And well, what I'm, so I remember, far, I remember when we were saying that uh, when uh, George W. Bush was president here in the United States, we we're saying after you know we were a bit into his um, uh, his his reign, whatever you want to call it, uh, we started saying, well, you know, maybe the bright side of this is we'll we'll realize how important our our votes are and to scrutinize our leaders. No. Yeah. No. I, meanwhile, there was there was some. Republican in the back of the room going, I think we can go even dumber. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, uh, well, that's a Joe Rogan bit uh, from back in, the, well, from his, an old stand-up show that went viral again after Trump got elected. But yeah, no, look, our leaders are, we really haven't taken into account, if, if one thing we're seeing even more, if, if people weren't awake to this already, just how detached from the reality of everyday people our leaders are. They really have no idea. If you talk to these elites, the people that actually are in a position to make decisions, they don't know what living paycheck to paycheck is like. They don't know how much anything really costs or you know, or anything. They, you remember back in the, it was in, I think, 92 when George Bush was running for re-election. I was just thinking that. He didn't know how to use the uh, scanner, right? The, the, the scanners in supermarkets, he was amazed by them. And he's he's talking to this poor woman who, you know, has to deal with George, this dweeb all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, standing in front of her, who's running for office. And, and he's all amazed. He's like, so you just you just run it over the counter and it, and it just reads and it, it knows the price. And she was like, yes, Mr. President. <laughs> and it was just a it should have been a wake up moment, but it's kind of like Versailles in 1785 right? <laughs> or 1780 or so. Like the, the elites are so out of touch. It's let them eat cake. They, they really don't know. 
and they're completely detached from reality. And now you would think, oh, but the anger brewing out there. So there will be this revolutionary moment. But I'm not expecting it because, you know, Americans and Europeans were well-fed cattle. And as long as the cattle have are well-fed and they have their toys, they're fat, they're spoiled, they're lazy. It's a little less bad here, but it's it's pretty much the same phenomenon. You know, I, I'm sure from America, it must look like we have some sort of enlightened leadership over here. Believe me, we don't. Macron is an idiot. He talks better. He looks better. You know, he's, he's less humiliating. But the policies are close to the same. And the lack of organization, the incapacity, the bureaucratic, uh, you know, stalemate that, that stops us from getting ventilators and masks and, and getting testing on a widespread basis, which is exactly what we know we need. And why it can't get done? It's very similar over here, you know. So I mean, what do we do? I, everywhere you look, and I, I'm again not going to disagree with you, JQ. Uh, I, I don't have much faith in our leaders either. Early on, I'm 53. You're you're 53 as well, uh, I not believe. Yet, not yet. Not Close. Yet. Close. Uh, and you know, when I was 23, I had much more hope uh, and and faith in in people older than me at that point to, to do what was right, to have vision and to really, you know, uh, be on a quest to, to uh, help us truly evolve as a, as a, as a people. <laughs> I, now, yeah, now I'm... And you I, get to that age and, uh, and you realize none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> right, and you've been lying for, to us for so long. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's not healthy, I suppose. I mean, healthy skepticism is, is good. But to become outright cynical, and that's where I'm teetering, you know, what good is that? Because we, we have some real problems. You know, I'm starting to think, well, how can I bide out my next 30 years? Hopefully I get that long or, or more, uh, rather than how can I change the world, you know? Something like that, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's very dark times ahead. I mean, certainly for, for me and, and Isabel over here, you know, we make our living uh, completely off tourism. And a lot of France does. France is like a, a big, it, it's like Disney World, but as a country. Um, and, you know, with good food and wine and a bit more dignity um, because there's there's just all this architecture. And all, we, we, France has the highest uh, highest tourism rate per capita in the world by a long shot. We're number one the way America's number one for military spending. It's not even close. Right. Right. But but so you have a ton of people that are all the independents, people like me who just don't want to be part of the system. So, you know. I sell to tourists and I, I stay off radar as much as possible. We're the ones we're screwed now because nobody's coming this summer, right? You the the pandemic has hit and right at a perfect time where it's going, nobody's going to be able to travel or come here. Well, how is it affecting the uh, the immigrant population or the first generation, often those that are ghettoized uh, in in uh, in France? Oh well, who cares? They're immigrants. No, I'm sorry, I take that back. That was a joke. <laughs> I know you don't believe that, but that that was satire. Well, obviously, yeah, no, obviously, it's 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 affecting. I mean, I yeah, I am an an immigrant here, um, but, but not. A, but you're an American immigrant. It's different than a Northern African immigrant or an Eastern yeah. European immigrant. Well, very much so. I mean, I have some bureaucratic hangups uh, because a lot of the laws that apply that they've made very strict to apply to immigrants in order to put hurdles in front of you also apply to me because we're not a part of the European Union, but. As soon as I can get a face-to-face -face meeting, those problems seem to go away. You know, it's uh, just by magic. It's marvelous being white <laughs> for now. Um, 
but yeah, no, that obviously the vulnerable populations, those are the ones who are going to pay that that's, that's how it always goes down. Um, until, until there's, I don't know, catastrophe, bloody revolution, something that forces us to wake up. I, I, I am that cynical. I don't expect things to change. You know, this, what we're going to see is just a lot of ugliness and more stupidity. Our, our leaders, if you think about this, I forget who I was, I was speaking with somebody recently, a friend over here, and we realized all of a sudden that we were talking about, I think, the Malta Conference. We were saying, you know, the end of World War II, the world leaders in America, France, and England were Roosevelt, de Gaulle, and Churchill. And now it's Trump, Macron, and Boris Johnson. And we were like, what the hell happened? <laughs> we have fallen far. Yeah. And, yeah, but you know, you're falling for so long, it feels like flying until you hit the ground. <laughs> that, might, that ground might be rushing up at us right now because I don't, I don't know how much lower we can go. I, I didn't think it could go lower than George W. Bush in terms of, you know, the president who could barely string sentences together. Now, all of a sudden, he's, he's, you know, reading speeches uh, for charity things for, you know, to appeal for American unity. And even Democrats and his former em enemies are taking him for some sort of great statesman, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. I, someone, my wife was saying that the other day, oh, George Bush, I miss him. I said, miss him? I said, why? He's he was yeah. terrible. Don't don't Nostalgia let. Nostalgia is a strange thing. Nostalgia is a strange. Well, thing. and because again, to the you know, compared to Trump, he looks good, but it doesn't mean he is good. Compared to Trump, I mean, most everything looks good. Doesn't mean that it, it, it is indeed. Again, we're talking to JQ here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, uh, musician, writer, expat, living in the south of France, and our resident social critic. Now, have you heard about? the CDC's report that that has been basically suppressed by uh, the Trump administration. That that uh, uh, report is basically, it's, a, it's actually a, a handbook for municipalities and states to use as they try to open uh, up their, their states and their, their uh, communities after this pandemic to get the economy going again. Right. And yeah, what should be shocking about this is that it's not that uh, it's being suppressed by the Trump administration. It's that as far as right now, as far as I know, you can't even get a copy like we're not allowed to read what is <laughs> it's, it's been suppressed, like eliminated. And it should be shocking, because, but I'm getting so used to just checking out the news and it is this insane almost – uh, comical parody of Orwell that, you know, you, 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 you get numb. And I read that story and I went, huh, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if it had happened, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I would have been, what? Oh my God! I would have been writing to all my friends, have you heard? But at this point, no, no. <laughs> it's just, it's just more of the same. Uh, the response to this thing has been insane because, again, as we started off the conversation, I started off saying we know exactly what to do. We know what to do about the health issues and we know what to do for the economy. There's simply no will or organization or leadership to get it done because, as we were just saying, we don't have statesmen anymore. We are led by nihilistic little children like Boris Johnson, like Macron and you know, and they're and the great chieftain of idiots, Trump. Um, and then what leadership are you, are you to look to right now? 
What is the Democratic Party offering? Joe Biden. Yes. So, in other words, we're going to have an election between a narcissistic child who's in office and causing all sorts of damage and an aging, half-demented, hack corporate whore. That's where we're at. And Bernie Sanders is standing right there, just going, I don't get it. <laughs> right? <laughs> And not that Bernie Sanders is an answer or that I agree with everything about him. But look, uh, I forget his name, but you remember the Oliver Stone movie Wall Street from the 80s with the Michael Douglas character Gordon Gecko? Yep. Yep. Okay. He has a real life model who was like this sort of, you know, financial wizard hedge fund kind of guy, the greed is good guy. And back in 2016, they asked him which candidate, you know, as he was analyzing the economy, he thought was the best. And he said, oh. There's no question. It's Bernie Sanders. This coming from the real life Gordon Gecko. And when he was asked why, he said, well, look, he's the only candidate that understands that when the wealth gap gets as great as it is now and you begin to see all this top heavy stuff in the economy and money being hidden offshore and all of these things and the real working people are starting to struggle more and more and they're not partaking in, in the abundance, that's when you need to reinvest in the bottom. That's what the new deal was. You reinvest in the lower and the middle classes and working people because that money has what economists call velocity, right? Which means there's a lot of turnover to it. It's not building up. It's actually being invested in all sorts of things and keeping the economy really vibrant, right? And you need that from periodically very badly. Uh, otherwise, you know, you end up creating situations like what we have now, uh, where people are really, we don't have a working minimum wage. There's people that working minimum wage jobs, you have to have two or three of them. And you, you still can't afford an apartment in a major city. Well, <laughs> like, that, 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 let's, let's go back then to, to the people. You know, all of what we're talking about could be, theoretically, and I think realistically, if they're willing to do what it takes, be changed by the people. Uh, you know, we're the ones who will not accept uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, uh, as a nominee. Uh, we're, we're the ones who allow ourselves to be duped into thinking it's uh, good to risk your, your health so that uh, the economy is, is strong. Uh, or are we, is it that we're, we're, we're not willing to fight for what is right, we're afraid, or is it we don't know, or or we're here's the thing that I think it might be in large part, we're trapped, we in in the system, especially in the United States, where we have so much debt and no safety net that we need to get back out there and make some money because if not, what, what little we do have will be taken away from us. Something like that, yeah. I mean, how? Okay, the power is theoretically in the hands of the people. First of all, no, it's not. You know, we, we, we know that the – look, here's an idea for you. Forget the presidency. What if the executive branch actually was an executive branch run by the American people? And what I mean by that is instead of having, you know, a, a beauty contest every four years where the most popular, you know, person wins uh, and then can't really change things, if there were referendums – Right. Where a majority of American voters had to, you could even just use the best opinion polls uh, and the executive's job was to enact the will of the American people. Here's the thing. You wouldn't need Bernie Sanders. You wouldn't need or whoever it is, because his positions and what you and I have been saying, 
they are, and this is a fairly well-kept secret for some reason, they are the positions of the American people. When it comes to the rich paying their fair share of taxes and stopping all the offshore banking, when it comes to going after Wall Street, when it comes to a working minimum wage, when it comes to single-payer health care, when it comes to all of these issues, you don't need Bernie Sanders if the executive branch is actually a democratic institution, which it's not. Okay, That's In a great words, point. Yeah, imagine an executive that you have you have mandatory referendums where you have to vote on the major issues and express an opinion on them. Afterwards, there's a lot to be done. Just because you know people want single-payer health care doesn't mean it can get done. But if that's coming from the executive branch, it would actually it – would, it would give people the feeling that, that their vote counted because you would be part of the executive. You would be part of the presidency every time you voted. See what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that I do. Because direct democracy is gone. Well, how would that yeah. work then with Congress? How would, that, how would that work with Congress then? Would, well, would, Congress still has to write laws and enact laws and vote on laws. Would right? they have to listen then to what uh, the the uh, executive branch by the people is saying? Yes. Because right now, you well, know, they I, could fight it, but then how are they going to get reelected? And I, I, you know, when you look at, I, I read uh, something in, in Harper's Magazine recently. It was actually, you know, the letters uh, section. One of the readers uh, criticizing an essay uh, about the people in America not doing what's right for for for, uh, for themselves. Uh, and this guy disagreed. He said, "Well, when you look at uh, the the popular vote, uh, the popular vote did not put in the presidents who." Um, appointed the the most conservative justices on the Supreme Court. The popular vote does not represent the uh, Republican majority in the Senate. And for a long time, it did not represent the Republican majority in the House. But because of the Electoral College, gerrymandering, the fact that the whole Senate idea, two senators for every state, regardless of population, uh, does give more power to, to states with less people, you know, for example, like Canada or Canada, excuse me, California has two senators and so does Idaho, you know, yeah. um, and, and that. So my point being what what is going on, some of the really uh, significant decisions that have been made uh, were, would not have are not supported, as you said, by by uh, plurality of, of our citizenry. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, even deeper than the problem of the Electoral College, which obviously is a problem and obviously needs to get be gotten rid of and that is a tool of power. And, you know, even going beyond like the, the, the zoning manipulations, the voter zoning laws that, that, you know, Republicans are in particular are very adept at in order to control the outcomes of, of races on a, on a minute scale. Even um, the real big problem is, look. In America, before World War II, for the first half of the 20th century, if you had described lobbying, okay, what we know as lobbying, to politicians in Washington, uh, it would have been considered and was and was spoken of as the absolute highest form of corruption imaginable. Today, it's common practice. Yeah. Today, it's gotten so bad that after since Citizens United – uh, the Supreme Court decision, Citizens United, that money is speech, which means the more money you have, the louder your voice is. And you can and our politicians are bought and sold and they are not representing anybody but their donors. And they spend all their time fundraising and they hate it. Large the good ones, you know, the good hearted ones, at least what you know, that haven't become complete sociopaths <laughs> because they're in, in that system. You know, they hate it, too. Uh, to, to get anywhere, first, money has to come out of politics. 
absolutely has to come out. And we have to stop treating our politicians as though they're some sort of elite. They're public servants. They're our employees. Uh, so th- that to this day, you know, it's it's some it, 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 you have power because you're the mayor of Podunk, wherever. Uh, that's the wrong way to see it. We we don't get our best people. We get our most ambitious and cleverest. Well, sometimes cleverest, but for sure most ambitious. Uh, well, clever is not in, being clever is not being intelligent. Cl- Trump is an extremely clever man. Yeah, I guess I don't want to give him any credit, but I guess he is good at manipulating. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's yeah, I mean, you know, instinctively, like, <laughs> and he's also just unbelievably lucky, but, but yeah, he has to be, you, you can't get where he is w- without some understanding of, you know, how to make human beings do what you want. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we start off with the pandemic, JQ, and uh, we're, we're off as usual in, into politics and uh, human uh, philosophy. Uh, what um, what do you what do you see in France as as uh, what's coming next with regard to uh, the the effects of the pandemic with regard to health economy social structure are things getting worse there in Europe are they getting better are people uh, clear on what actually is occurring uh, wow that's a lot of questions and very big ones are things getting worse or better things are getting worse. Um, Look, I, again, people who are living in, in, in Trump land, uh, looking over here, they because they're not on the ground, uh, they, they, they think the leadership here is, has its act together. It's not at all the case. Macron is, is the banker's butt boy. He's an ex-Goldman Sachs type. He's, he's doing horrible things to this country. Um, he's not left or right so much as he is business and capital and the banks. Uh, in terms of the response to the pandemic, you know, we haven't been as good as Germany. Uh, we've been a little bit better than America, but we have not been good. And there's still no widespread testing. Uh, economically, instead of giving money to people, which Spain has done, which Canada is doing, which is the smart thing to do, Macron wants to give it to businesses which is the wrong thing to do because there, there's, again, as you see in America, there's no conditions placed on these gifts. So it's going to go to shareholders. It's going to go it's to, to the corporations. Um, uh, there's very ugly times ahead, especially since, you know, France is a country where it's, it's, it's a highly individualistic people. So there's a lot of people that uh, work for themselves. There's a lot of independence. We have a a statute here. I'm one of them. It's called an auto-entrepreneur, a self-employed, uh, and it's a very particular statute and a very, very, very popular one. Um, and all these people who do independent things, you know, the, the fact that we still have, to a certain extent, not many, but there's still some artisans, a lot more like independent, smaller businesses that somehow managed to survive here. I don't know how they do, but uh, we're going to lose more and more of them. And that's, that's an ongoing process that's been going on for, since I moved here 25 years ago, you know? So yeah, no, my, the, the, the the prognosis is not good. It's just, you know, I can't say if it's better or worse in America because it's, it's really, it's too complex. It's too hard to say, but it's not good. No, it sounds like, uh, some of the, the, uh, 
tendencies uh, you have to to be different w- with regard to supporting and allowing for uh, artisans to live uh, in their own way and to add to to society w- uh, with you know whatever they create, what they give back to the community through their uh, skill, unique skill set, is not going to be sustainable uh, as much as it has been. Uh, thus, you'll become more like us. Uh, that happens here in the United States. Because we don't have uh, national health care, because we have to take on such big debt to get basic things like post-secondary education, uh, and we ha- you know, we're so preoccupied with materialism, people um, cannot just do their own thing. You know, they have to they have to find some institution that'll take them in, and they, you know that that hurts us as a society because well, you know, sure, we're less and less free. I mean, it's the corporatocracy yeah. more than so. It's it's corporate capitalism, and it's all based on on sort of you know the the psychopathology of of major institutions, for profit institutions. But even beyond that, I like that's just the economic aspect of it. To, to me, the, the, the thing is that we're sort of, this is a bit more complex as a subject and we probably don't have time for it. But no, we we'll, only have a couple of minutes. Well, I'll just end on it then. More than a, a, a corporatocracy, the big danger is that we're, we're moving towards technocracy. Okay. It's, it's a technocratic society. It's autocratic technology. So the individual counts less, obviously the institution, everything that is mechanized counts more uh, and that's why, you know, the, the poetry and the beauty and the harmony and the, 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 the wildness and the, the unpredictability of life, we, people don't want that, apparently. <laughs> they, they want everything streamlined and, and secure. And that is, that is a very weak and decadent sign for any society. It means if, if you're not on your way out, maybe you'll be powerful and manage to survive, but you're not going to be any fun to live in. Yeah. And, and as you, you started off saying, the pandemic is, is uh, expediting uh, that, that, that tendency. Or that I think the word is expediting, but let's, yeah, let's. <laughs> well, you know, potato, potato. Yeah, expediating, expediting, you know, wrong and correct. Okay, but, you know, I don't want to be a grammar Nazi. Well, you just were, but we'll, we'll let it go. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I, I, th- I, I stand firm with my pronunciation of that word. I will look it up afterwards. You too listeners can as well and see who's right jq our uh resident social critic or me your host and and uh you know lovely ew conundrum demure so so wonderful talking with you we're, we're going to uh listen to a song now that you produced um and uh, you want to lead in well uh yeah it's another party starting toe tapper <laughs> from my studio i played all the instruments uh it's basically uh um, a song for anybody who's ever been really, 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 really down. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, I'll leave you with that. Au revoir. All right, brother. Take care. Stay healthy. You too. Ciao.
is a bad habit I'm too anxious spastic can't relax can't relax trip a life away on a life fantastic too loud to think I spill my drink your smile hurts I'm on the brink our song is playing what were you saying what have you decided now wait I think I remember what I wanted to say I agree, just maybe, part of me, wants to fix Sampling of Light Verse Bohemia by Dorothy Parker Authors and actors and artists and such Never know nothing and never know much Sculptors and singers and those of their kidney Tell their affairs from Seattle to Sydney Playwrights and poets and such horses' necks Start off from anywhere, end up at sex Diarists, critics, and similar row Never say nothing and never say no. People who do things exceed my endurance. God for a man that solicits insurance. Where are you going, my pretty maid? By Anonymous. Where are you going, my pretty maid? I'm going a-milking, sir, she said. May I go with you, my pretty maid? You're kindly welcome, sir, she said. 
What is your father, my pretty maid? My father's a farmer, sir, she said. What is your fortune, my pretty maid? My face is my fortune, sir, she said. Then I can't marry you, my pretty maid. Nobody asked you, sir, she said. For an Amorous Lady by Theodore Rothke Most mammals like caresses, in the sense in which we usually take the word, whereas other creatures, even tame snakes, prefer giving to receiving them. From a Natural History Book The pensive new, the staid aardvark, accept caresses in the dark. The bear, equipped with paw and snout, would rather take than dish it out. But snakes, both poisonous and garter, in love are never known to barter. The worm, though dank, is sensitive. His noble nature bids him give. But you, my dearest, have a soul encompassing fish, flesh, and fowl. When amorous arts we would pursue, you can, with pleasure, bill or coo. You are in truth one in a million, at once mammalian and reptilian. Sweet Levinsky by Allen Ginsberg Sweet Levinsky in the night, Sweet Levinsky in the light, Do you giggle out of spite, Or are you laughing in delight? Sweet Levinsky, sweet Levinsky, Sweet Levinsky, do you tremble when the cock crows and dissemble as you amble to the gamble? Why so humble when you stumble, sweet Levinsky, sweet Levinsky? Sweet Levinsky, why so tearful? Sweet Levinsky, don't be fearful. Sweet Levinsky, here's your earful of the angels chirping cheerfully, Levinsky, sweet Levinsky. Sweet Levinsky, Sweet Levinsky. Slither Gadee by Shel Silverstein. The Slither Gadee has crawled out of the sea. He may catch all the others, but he won't catch me. No, you won't catch me, old Slither Gadee. You may catch all the others, but you won't. <laughs>
seasonal sneeze. Spring buds toil through the stem and branch as their time in the sun has come. The mud to grass at last and another season of enchanting sounds, smells, backyard garden parties and valley echoes of midday and late afternoon church bells. Can you hear your name in the warmer breeze?
And there you have it, episode 369 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend and regular contributor, J.Q. I also would like to thank our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavise, and these poets, Dorothy Parker, Theodore Rocky, Allen Ginsberg, Shel Silverstein, as well as these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Manu Dimango, The Stranglers, J.Q., Bucky Pizzarelli, Millie Small, and of course, Brentford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. It's so nice to have you with us. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this time. Thanks for listening.